You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Thank you very much, Anne. Why doesn't everyone take a seat? If I haven't met you before, my name is Jimmy Young. I'm the Assistant Minister here at St. John's Cranbourne. I had one of those experiences this week as I was getting into the text, Micah, uh, where you're reading the Bible and you have this moment, you're like, this is really cool. There's a lot going on here. I don't know, it's an incredibly controversial opinion for a pastor to say the Bible is really cool. I know plenty of you will walk out over that. But there's, there's so much going on in this passage and it's easy for us to miss it. Because if you read uh, Micah, what's just been read out to us by Pastor Sam, it will sound an awful lot like all the other prophecies, all the other Old Testament passages we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks as we've looked forward towards Advent. There is a coming Messiah, a coming King, who is going to set all things right. That's, he's going to usher in this age of peace and security. It sounds great and you start to wonder, why do they keep repeating themselves? Why do they keep talking about this coming Messiah? What's different this time as opposed to what we read in Isaiah the last couple of weeks? Well, if you've, if, if you've ever been in a Bible study with me, you know I'll ask three questions of everyone. We'll read the passage and we'll say, what stands out to you? What's confusing to you? And what questions do you have? And it's when we start to ask questions of Micah chapter 5 that some interesting things really start to pop out for us. Like why Bethlehem? Bethlehem is mentioned in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It's, it's the one where the Messiah is going to come out of. But it's kind of strange that Bethlehem is mentioned. Bethlehem is a backwater town. It's a nowheresville. Right? Nothing happens in Bethlehem. We don't think of it that way because we know what's coming next. But back to that, back then, it's, it's the end of the line. When Micah reads out all the, the towns that have been taken over by Assyria, Bethlehem is left off the list. It's not considered important enough to mention that Assyria has taken it over. It's not a cultural center. It's not a place where the the elite hang out. It's not powerful. It's not rich. There's not much going on in the little town of Bethlehem. And even in the rest of the Old Testament, there's not much going on. There's a couple of mentions early on. Bethlehem is where Jacob's wife Rachel dies and is buried. And then for story after story, Bethlehem is overlooked until you get to the book of Ruth. You see, Naomi was born in Bethlehem. Naomi leaves Bethlehem, goes to Moab to find food, returns with uh, her daughter-in-law Ruth, And if you know the story, Ruth meets a man named Boaz who feeds her and protects her. They get married and they eventually have a son called Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. You see, Bethlehem was overlooked until the time of David, great King David, the King David. In fact, for most of Israel, for Israel, if you heard the town Bethlehem, the thing you think of immediately is David. 
That's the place where David came from. That, so immediately in our minds, what it's trying to do is draw these links between this coming Messiah and David. And we can actually see this in other places, even in the New Testament. In John, it says, Has not the Scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? Bethlehem is where David is from. And it's really trying to get us to, to draw these lines between the Messiah and David. So we know the Messiah is Jesus. This coming king who is to set all things right is Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 2, which was read out for us, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. He's talking about Jesus. So Jesus comes from Bethlehem and David comes from Bethlehem. And if you're an inquisitive kind of person like I am, you might ask yourself, well, what else is going on in the passage? What other links might there be? Well, we start to read. If we go back one. Here we go. That he's a shepherd. That the coming Messiah is to be a shepherd, kind of like David. In fact, he's going to be a ruler, kind of like David. In fact, the whole point of what's going on, the subtext in Micah, is that the coming Messiah is going to be like David. We read these messianic prophecies and we think Jesus, but to Israelites, they would think he is going to be exactly like David. That's the link that's going on in their minds. And in fact, in uh, verse 2, when it says, whose origin is from old, from ancient days, it might be suggesting that he's talking about Jesus who existed before the foundation of the world, but more than likely he's talking about the Davidic line, that he comes from the line of David. You go, okay, that's that's really interesting because David, for any Israelite, was the ideal king. That was the kind of king that every other king wanted to be like. He was a man after God's own heart. He ushered in this age of peace and prosperity for Israel. He was not just a great warrior but a great poet. He wrote psalms. He played musical instruments. He cried. He had great friendships. He was an incredible king. But I don't know if you've ever heard the statement before, don't meet your heroes because the people that we idolize the people we look up to often disappoint us in the flesh and I wonder if you're an Israelite existing sometime after the time of David and you're reading through one or two Samuel and reading about all that all that David got up to you might be somewhat disappointed when you hear that he slept with Bathsheba and that he murdered Uriah Or that he even departed from the ways of the Lord at times, like when he called a census to trust in military power rather than God. Even David, good King David, the man after God's own heart, David, was wayward. And after his rule, Israel went back not into peace, but disunity and eventually exile. The kingdom didn't last. As great a king as David was, they needed someone greater. 
see, they're setting up in Micah this comparison between David and the coming Messiah, King Jesus, to illustrate that the King who is to come is far greater than David was. We don't just need David. We need a greater David. We don't just need a king. We need a greater king. We don't just need a shepherd. We need the greater shepherd. All the ways that David fell short, Jesus does not. He is the greater David. He's the greater king. It says in verse 2, Well, it says in verse 2 that we read out earlier that from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel. Jesus is to rule. He's to be a king. He's to have authority over them. But if you know something about the Old Testament, you know that Israel has a checkered history with kings. Kings and Israel don't always mix. In fact, Israel didn't always have kings. They pleaded eventually with the Lord for a king. What they had was judges appointed for the Lord until it came the time of Samuel where they came to Samuel and says, let us have a king like every other nation. Samuel warns them against them, but they said, no, we want a king. Eventually, Samuel and the Lord hand them over to their desires and God says this to Samuel. Listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them. So even the fact that Israel has a king is not a great thing to begin with and then their first king is King Saul. And one of the reasons that they choose King Saul is that they, he looks like a king. He's broad, he's tall, he's, he's strong, he looks like a warrior. Now, if the process for choosing the king is the same as my process for choosing a dodgeball team, I think, I think we might be in trouble, that he's broad and strong. And that's what we find is that Israel has this roller coaster ride that when the kings walk closely with the Lord that there is peace and prosperity in the land but when they are far from him there's division, exile, war, famine. But even the righteous kings fall short. Even King David falls short. Jesus never falls short. We talked last week about politicians and our leaders around us and how frustratingly disappointing they are all the time. It's easy to think that Jesus would be like that, but he is not. Jesus is not a king in the fashion of other kings. He is the king of kings. He has authority over all others. There is no one coming to take his place. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, 16, it says this, In him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He created all authority. All authority comes from him. He is the authority of authorities he is the greater king but you might very well ask the question well what kind of king is he what is the nature of his kingship maybe he'll be a great military ruler maybe he'll take over lots of land well the answer from Micah is that the kind of king that Jesus is is a shepherd king he's a shepherd he's the greater shepherd 
See, in Micah it says, He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. It's interesting what it says in the beginning, He shall stand and feed. The nature of his kingship is that he shall stand and feed. Standing has this connotation of protection, that he is active in protecting them. He is active in watching over them. He is active. He is not a disengaged shepherd watching over them from a distant hill. He is with them. You see, David looked over his flock of sheep carefully, but God in Jesus looks, looks carefully over each and every one of us. David writes in the psalm, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But Jesus says, I am the true shepherd. Jesus stands and protects us. He is not distant from us. But I imagine in the last two years, and particularly over a lifetime, you'll have those moments where it does feel like God is distant, where it feels like God is not listening to your prayers, where it seems like God is not working, not active, not able. And you think over the last two years, I've definitely had those moments where these flashes in my mind where I've thought, God, why don't you just intervene here? Why don't you just end coronavirus, end the suffering, end the distance that we feel? The churches aren't meeting, we can't see our friends and family. Aren't you close? Aren't you hearing our prayers? It's easy in those moments to feel like God is distant from us. And I imagine that Israel would would have felt something similar because This prophecy doesn't come at a time of prosperity for Israel. It comes at a time of turmoil. The north kingdom has fallen. Assyria is on the way. Judah is about to be taken over. This is not the climax of Israel's story. This is the low point. This is the valley. And yet God in Jesus through Micah are asserting that he is the good shepherd who takes care of his people. It's because he is able to. You might have seen the Footprints poem before, right? Which tells this story of uh, a man or a woman and, and God walking along the beach and there's two footprints and then eventually there comes to a point where uh, someone goes through a t- troubled time in life and they only notice one, pair of, uh, one set of footprints and the person asks God, well, where were you? And God responds, well, that's where I carried you. Right? This is this really nice poem. It gives us this really nice, warm and fuzzy feeling, except it's not entirely correct, is it? Because when is there a moment where God is not carrying us? When is there a moment where God is not watching over us, protecting us, sustaining us, encouraging us, giving us perseverance and endurance? When is there a moment where God is not standing for us? Now he stands, but he doesn't just stand, he feeds. I wonder if you've noticed how often Jesus claims things about himself that are related to food. He says, I am the bread of life, that there is water that comes from me that you will drink of and never have any thirst ever again. It's because he satisfies. It's what 
King David writes in Psalm 23 that we know so well, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Jesus feeds us. One of the things I'll always remember is my old pastor, Jono. He, he'd often have people come to him and say, I'm feeling distant from God right now. I feel disconnected. I'm not really sure in uh, my relationship. Uh, oh, that's from Isaiah. That's okay. Um, that's last week's slides. People would come to him and say, I'm not really sure of my relationship with God. And he'd ask them, okay, that's fine. So have you been have you been reading your Bible? Have you been uh, meeting with other Christians? And the answer would invariably be, no, not really. Okay, so uh, have you been having time of meditation? Have you been you know, praying uh, by yourself? Well, not really. Okay, so have you, have you been coming to church? Have you have you, and the answer would be invariably no. And one of the things Jono used to say, which has stood with me that, like, for a long time, it says, you're sitting at the table of a feast and you're claiming to be starving. Jesus has laid out a feast for us in his word, in, like in our prayers, in the church, in communion. Take and eat, for in him you will be satisfied. Jesus does, just doesn't stand over us, watching us. He feeds us. We have our fill in Him. Christian, take and eat. When you're distant from God, this is the kind of King that He is. He feeds us. You can always come to Him in His Word through prayer, in communion, through his church, and you will be fed food that will satisfy your soul. Week after week, we, we often throughout the week go trying to find food in other places, but Jesus is the one who feeds his flock. And I love what it says in verse 5. He shall be the one of peace. Because the reality is that if Jesus is the greater king, if Jesus is the greater shepherd, what he ushers in for us is security and peace. Not just peace with other people, not just peace with other nations, but peace with God forever. That's what Jesus brings. That's what we look forward to at Christmas, this coming king who is not just like David, but like a greater David. This coming king who rules with righteousness. This coming king, the shepherd king who stands for his people and watches over them, ushers in an age of peace because he ushers in peace with God. That's what we need this Christmas. You might feel distant with God. You might feel disengaged. You might feel far away. You might feel like God is far away. But know that in Jesus, his life and death and resurrection, there is peace. So call upon him. Draw near to him. Take your food and eat. 
For he is a good king. He is a true shepherd who stands over us and watches us. Take and eat and be with him. Let me pray for us that that would be true this morning and every morning. Father, we pray and thank you for this prophecy, the way that that Micah talks of this coming king, the king that we know who is not just a wonderful king, but a shepherd who stands over us and watches us and feeds us. God, I pray that you would feed us this morning. God, I pray that as we take in your word, that as we pray to you, as we sing songs, as we take communion, that we would be fed in you, that we would be satisfied in you. God, I pray that we would know the ways in which you watch over us. God, that we would feel safe and secure, not in our situations, not not in what's going on, but safe and secure, knowing that you are a good king who watches over us. You are the greater king, the greater shepherd. Lord, may we trust you more and more and more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.